All right, this is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco. This is 89.5 FM, and we welcome everyone who's joining us live on Facebook Live. We have a lot to talk about, and this will be part two of three interviews we are going to have with Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi, and we've been talking about different issues about Palestine, uh, the latest news, issues at San Francisco State University, local issues. And so uh, we welcome again Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi in the studio. Thank you for having me, Jamal. It's really a pleasure to be here. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit, you know, before we get into many of our topics. I think, you know, as you know, yesterday, and we've been talking about this issue for several weeks now, yes. and, and many people have heard about uh, the young Palestinian girl, Ahd al-Tamimi. She turned 17 just yesterday in an Israeli uh, military jail. Yes. And of course, you know, I mean, uh, Adna is the, the poster child yes. in a way for not only Palestinians, but also Palestinian women leading the struggle and suffering under the Israeli occupation. And the other part of this, because I wanted to talk about both, one, the Palestinian women's struggle, and then the other component, which really deals with gender and the vilification of the other. Yes. If you read Israeli media or if, if you've been listening to some of their politicians, they're trying to taint this young lady's reputation. Uh, they're saying, you know, she's acting. Palestinians shouldn't be blonde. Why she's dressed in Western clothing yes. and so on. What do you think about this? I think it's um, it's very interesting. I mean, this is this is this is part of my research and work, long life uh, work, is that there is always, in general, as you've said, is the construction of uh, people in general in colonized situations, in marginalized situations. This applies to people in the U.S., to indigenous communities, to communities of color, to marginalized communities. The, they get constructed by the dominant discourses in such a way that seeks to eliminate and undermine and erase any agency they have, who they are, what they think, and also construct them in a stereotypical way. They're all the same. And once you do that and once you deprive them of their humanity, then it becomes easier to justify why they are being killed, why they are being imprisoned, why they are being uh, deprived of food and water and uh, environmental uh, conditions, education and so on and so forth. So the Palestinians in that sense are not an exception. And Palestinian young women and um, 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 queer folks, anybody, are not an exception as well. Now, if you think about the way Ahed Tamimi has been constructed, this is also not new. People think that this is something new, but it is not new. I remind, uh, I remind our listeners, and I'm sure you know, Jamal, that Golda Meir was referring to Palestinians. Why is it even at, at one point uh, she referred, I think, to Leila Khalid saying, why is this girl doing all of these things? This is not the way a girl is supposed to be. But it's very interesting because in Golda Meir's uh, eyes, she, as an Israeli Zionist woman, is allowed to pursue public office, is allowed to become the prime minister, is allowed to do whatever she wants, but it's not allowed for the Palestinians who are colonized. Uh, this is the same thing, and I just want to just 
plug in today we're having a discussion about the battle of algiers and divine intervention in the in the at the university uh, as part of our open classrooms and this is one of the topics we will talk about how algerian women were constructed in the uh, during the algerian war of liberation how palestinian uh, women and people were constructed and how elias leman in the film divine intervention basically subverts that and and challenges these constructions and th then we can talk about the history of the united states the history of south africa the history of all colonized people but let me limit myself to palestine i think one of the one of the big problems is the construction of what i call a palestinian motherhood deficiency Israel and the Zionist discourses construct motherhood and fatherhood as deficient. They say Palestinian parents actually do not take care of their children. Palestinian parents are cowards. Palestinian parents put their their children in the front while they are basically hiding behind them because if they were really true, true and they really believed in what they are doing, they will go themselves fight and they would not let their kids throw stones and so on. They claim, they construct Palestinian parenthood as a naturalized thing and I will remind um, our listeners of at least two cases about Palestinian children. One is in 2000, the, the, the Aqsa Intifada, uh, the case of the Palestinian kid whose father was, was trying to protect him and he was killed bullet after bullet after bullet after bullet. And Israel at the time also tried to construct uh, the parents as being incapable of taking care of their children. The second case is the case of Muhammad Abu Khdir, uh, that when Muhammad Abu Khdir was kidnapped and disappeared and was killed, the Israeli uh, police first time surfaced news that Muhammad Abu Khdir was killed because he was gay and his family was trying to cleanse his family honor. And we wonder, I always I ask, why is it? Who benefits and what's the purpose of propagating such discourses? And this is the same thing with Ahed Tamimi. Ahed Tamimi is constructed as somebody who, as a, first of all, her parents are not supposed to be taking care of her. Her parents are cowards. Her parents are not disciplining their children enough to tell them to stay inside. Her parents are not disciplining a girl sufficiently to tell her that she shouldn't behave this way, which is very interesting because at the same time that these discourses are constructed about Palestinian children and youth and women, there is an opposite discourse constructed for Israeli youth that they are supposed to be independent, they're supposed to carve their own path, they're supposed to be uh, outgoing, they're supposed to be in public spaces. And then Palestinian women, Arab women, Muslim women are always constructed that we are always hiding. Our men are always telling us what to do. Arab men, Muslim men, Palestinian men are the most blood ruthless, misogynist, bloodthirsty, terrorists, and so on. Our women are extremely uh, oppressed. And so when you have an example like young Ahad Tamimi and many others, she's not the only one. She is the one who's now in the, in the, in the eye of the storm and uh, that who we would want, we need to keep demanding her freedom immediately. But she is somebody who is presented in the same way, is that it is not, she's not allowed. And if Palestinian women are, are, uh, are at home, if Palestinian women are wearing hijab or something, then they'll point out and say, see, look how oppressed and how backward Palestinian women in. If Palestinian women are wearing t-shirts and, and have their hair flowing like Ahed Tamimi, look at how they are. They are not really real Palestinians. So damn if you do, damn if you don't. It, it, but, but the problem, the issue of it is that the construction, the construction of the colonized, the body of the colonized, the gendered and sexualized body of the colonized is damn if you do, damn if you don't. You can never speak for yourself. Somebody is always speaking for you, defining who you are, constructing you in such a 
away that makes it easier to deprive you of your humanity and thus makes it possible to justify the imprisonment, the killings, the genocide, the land theft, and so on and so forth. How, uh, how important do you think uh, her case is? Because yes. I think it's, it's a... Uh, It's a turning point. I mean, not to say that Palestinian women uh, have not been in the struggle from day one. But, uh, you know, as far as I can follow uh, her story, uh, she has received probably the most attention in many, many years, uh, you know, outside uh, the region, in Western media, right here in the United States. Uh, Many uh, women organizations have mobilized behind her. You have weekly demonstrations. And, and, And yet we've seen the opposition, the Israeli uh, basically uh, colonizing powers across, not only in Israel, but uh, even uh, trying to utilize uh, different groups right here in the United States and elsewhere, trying to defame her, defame her family. Uh, Most recently, like I've mentioned, uh, Michael Oren, who, by the way, comes from upstate New York and then later on became the Israel's ambassador in Washington, D.C. And now he's, uh, I guess he's uh, the deputy prime minister to uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. Try to basically paint her as uh, uh, not only her as the entire family as a bunch of actors that this is not reality. I've recently read an article and I was like surprised why BBC would allow such an article linking her to uh, child soldiers, even though she's never carried a weapon, you know, trying to make that distinction here. So I think her case is extremely important. Uh, Do you think this will have a, a, a lasting effect or will it kind of change the narrative? I think, uh, okay, so there are a couple of uh, points to this. One is that in terms of the changing the narrative, the only way the narratives change is that if people who are colonized, who are oppressed, make them change. Uh, the 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 colonizing narrative is always a narrative. The way the stories are written are always stories of the submission, defeat, and subjugation. Palestinians and other colonized people are always constructed. This is the way the stories are told. This is the way the story of 100 years of colonialism is told. It's always, and the, 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 the message is to paint people as undeserving of rights as other people, so depriving of humanity, uh, painting them as hapless mass, so you cannot distinguish one, one, one of the other. When somebody becomes well-known, like Ahed Tamimi, they paint her as an exceptional Uh, to people so she needs to be crushed she needs to be silenced uh, and so on and then at the same time there is the whole thing of constructing her as somebody who is violent who is doing all of these things that is not real and so the narrative can change when people make it change when we are when people are standing and saying no we're not going to allow uh, this to change which has to do which I'm you know we can talk about it a little bit later about the whole question of why is it that we study what we study why is it that we teach about Palestine why do we do this but I wanted to say one thing that's actually really really interesting is the way in which I had Tamimi also, a young woman who's standing up for herself, and by the way, she's not the first. And she, this is not the this is not the first time that she has been well known. She's on videos. She has been well known. One of her cousins keeps calling herself the youngest journalist in the world, 11 year old. There are multiple Palestinian children, and and and, and I've you've seen them, Jamal. I've seen them in my various travels. I've had I've had them in my family, uh, young my nieces and nephews. Uh, they. 
people, nobody likes to be oppressed. Nobody likes to be beaten. Nobody likes to be uh, um, see their cousin being shot. No, like, no one likes to have their aunt being killed. And this is some of the things that Ahed Tamimi has experienced. Nobody likes to have their trees pulled well, hundreds of years of trees old pulled from the ground or their land taken away or not have clean water. Everybody likes to have um, um, dignified um, life, safe. Everybody likes to have their children safe. Everybody likes to know where they are, where they go at night, what happens to them. This is what happens today and every day on the streets of the United States with police brutality and killing of children. So I think it's really important the ways in which Ahed Tamimi is being presented as uh, somebody who is actually standing up for herself and she's defending herself. She did not go seek out the soldiers to attack them. The soldiers came to her. It's like you, the, the Israeli occupation went and occupied her land, occupied her family, came to, the, to, to, the, to, the, uh, to her house. They were standing outside of her house. She did not go seek them out in Tel Aviv or she did not seek Michael Orens in Washington or in, her, in Herzliya or wherever he is. She was there where she is. The Israeli soldiers, the military came and tried to attack her, injured her cousin, has been harassing them day in and day out, and she stood up for herself. The young person stood up for herself. The, the oppressed, the colonized, is not allowed to stand up for themselves. This is the message that what's happening to Hatamini and actually the severity of the punishment is a message to tell all Palestinian children, to tell all Palestinians, do not dare. Do not dare stand up for your right. Do not dare resist. Do not dare call yourselves Palestinians. Do not dare stay on your land. Do not dare tilling the trees day in and day out. Do not dare. Because every single time you're going to do this, the punishment, we are going to exact a very heavy price of what you are trying to do. And you continue doing it, we're going to continue doing this. And then they say they don't learn the lesson. They are not really good students. They don't learn the lesson. And actually, they are learning the lesson that they need to stand up for themselves because that's what their parents taught them. Be dignified. Be proud. Do not bend your head down. Be, and this is what parents teach each other, the, the, their children all over the world. It's not exceptional to Palestine. So when people believe something like this, it's quite problematic that these stories, and they're very racist, very colonialist, very Islamophobic, mm -hmm. very Zionist stories, and they need to be confronted and challenged. Absolutely. You're listening to the voice of Dr. Rabab Abdel Hadi. We, we have been speaking about... Uh, uh, Ahd Tamimi, who just recently turned 17 in an Israeli military jail. And uh, we are going to be shifting gears a little bit because we have so many topics to cover yes, and we want to get to the topic. And by the way, all these topics are all related when we want to start talking about the injustice happening at San Francisco State University. And also, uh, talk, we are going to talk about some major news stories. For example, and this is something I'm sure you read this in a major free speech victory. A federal court struck down a law that punishes supporters of Israel boycott. Yes. This is this is just uh, recent. You know, just for our listeners, a little a little update. A federal judge on Tuesday ruled that a Kansas law designed to punish people who boycott Israel is unconstitutional denial of free speech. The ruling is very significant. It's a significant victory for free speech for everyone. Yes. I mean, this is people think it Definitely. affects only Palestinians or it affects this group or right. that group. 
and they don't know the implication of things like this because, and then we'll come, we'll start talking later on about what's happening at San Francisco State yes. University and attack yes. on academic freedom. Yes. But I think this is a major victory because, um, you know, uh, different groups have been trying to, uh, and they've been campaigning uh, to criminalize or otherwise legally use the law, legally outlaw the BDS movement, the mm -hmm. boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement that has been spreading very rapidly in numerous political and academic centers in the United States. And of course, it had, has many successes uh, across Europe and many countries. How significant is this? I think it's really, really important because uh, on multi multiple levels. One is that uh, the, the boycott, divestment and sanctions uh, movement that seeks to basically uh, account, may hold Israel accountable for uh, like any other country for its violations of Palestinian rights, for its colonialism, for its racism, for its occupation. Uh, BDS, which uh, emerged in 2005 as a call from the Palestinian civil society organization and being supported all over the world, it's, ba it's, it's, it's the least people can do to say that we are not going to stand for injustice. That's what, what people can do around the world. And in the United States, it is, this is and around the world, it is part of freedom of speech. Freedom of speech is part of the First Amendment. The First Amendment is very valuable to at least a lot of people who are reasonable in the United States, not if not to every single person, because there are people who would like to quash and silence the freedom of speech. Uh, there have been laws, they've tried to, pa to pass laws in Congress uh, that are against BDS. Israel now, there is a lawsuit that by 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 Israeli young young Israeli three young Israelis who didn't who who they could not go to a concert by Lord to attend a concert they said that their feelings have been hurt that they because they couldn't attend the pop concert star who refused to go and perform in Israel to abide by the boycott the cultural boycott and not cross the picket line saying that Israel needs to be held accountable so uh, this is this happening there and it's happening also here and the, the, I think it's really important the cancer is very, very important case because as American Civil Liberties Union has been saying, as Palestine Legal has been saying, as Center for Constitutional Rights, as National Lawyers Guild, as all the legal, everybody in the legal community, the majority of the people, let's say in the legal community, are saying that this is part of First Amendment. This is something that people have the right to speak, they have the right to advocate and boycott Boycott itself. The and question of boycott, was, it's something that has been going on for a very long time in the United States. That South, has been going on in South Africa. South, yeah. Everywhere, everywhere. The least you could do if somebody is mistreating somebody else is just to boycott them. That's the least you could do. It's just to say, I am not going to engage. I am not going to normalize oppression. That is the basic thing that you could do. You see, you go to a store and you see somebody mistreating a worker or something. You don't go back again. I mean, that's very simple. Sometimes it happens individually. Sometimes it happens on a collective basis. BDS is a collective movement that people around the world are joining because simply Israel is refusing to abide by international will. Israel continues to violate Palestinian rights. Um, and, and in the United States in particular, Israel receives billions and billions and billions of dollars from the United States from taxpayers' money. So it must be uh, the public wants to hold 
it's government accountable for supporting something so wrong. That's it is as simple as that. Israeli supporters, pro-Israeli supporters try to portray it as something against Jewish people. And we know this is not the case because we know that major Jewish organizations like Jewish Voice for Peace, like the International Anti-Zionist uh, Network, like um, people historically and contemporarily from Chomsky to, to uh, um, Judith Butler, many people to have spoken already and said this is not okay. People, A, people have the right to speak up their minds. B is this is not this is against Israel. This is criticism of Israel. We're holding Israel like any other state. We're not holding Israel exception to any other state. It's exactly the same way. And Israel should be abiding by this. So I think it's really, really important that this has happened. And it's important. It's also sends a message uh, to Everybody who is trying to quash and silence people from speaking up their minds, from organizing, from advocating, from saying that justice for Palestine is part of justice for all. And we really are. We are entitled to our viewpoint. We can say whatever we want. We can speak. We can teach about whatever we want. And people, nobody has the right, as long as the First Amendment is part of the U.S. Constitution, nobody has the right to silence anybody. Uh, about, yet to yet they keep yeah. trying. Yes. And and that's why uh, early on I said that uh, all these events uh, are connected. Yes. These events, uh, whether they happen in Palestine or they happen right here in the United, United yes. States, you know, against the BDS movement. But then uh, I want to bring us to the local issue here because they're, they are all connected to what has been happening at San Francisco State University. Yes. And it's part of the whole, really part of silencing any criticism of whatsoever. I mean, boycott is something, you know, because boycott, it's a personal choice. And again, it's part of your yes. First Amendment, but also silencing critics yes. of uh, Israel. And uh, we've seen this happen ha happening time and time again on, diff on many campuses, yes. UC Berkeley, San Francisco State University, UC Irvine, Brooklyn UC Irvine. College, but, CUNY. Yeah. But we we keep talking about this topic, and then we said this is we're going to have we're having basically a series of three discussions. Last week we started to talk about it. Next week we'll start delving more into the legal aspect because there is a lawsuit again attached to this. Yes. So uh, to our listeners, maybe. We should remind them again uh, about what's going on right here in the most liberal city in the United States, San Francisco at San Francisco State University. Um, again, we're speaking with uh, Dr. Rabab Abdel Hadi. She's the, the director and senior scholar at Ahmed, and Ahmed stands for the Arab and Muslim Ethnicities and Diaspora Studies right here at San Francisco State University. Probably you should start with a little brief about, uh, maybe take us back a little bit to the Barak, near Barak well, event. Well, maybe a little then, bit earlier, if you early. don't mind, because you sure. were asking me about BDS. And one of the things that we were, um, that we had the two past university, the past university president and the current university president have signed on to statements condemning BDS and uh, basically siding up with the pro-Israeli forces, saying that actually boycott divestment sanctions, which is a very general, as I said, nonviolent, a collective movement of people expressing their conscience and their criticism of Israel, they've basically signed on and criticized BDS. The previous president 
of San Francisco State has actually been actively involved in that. And uh, our what happened to us in San Francisco State, canceling our searches and then deleting our faculty lines, uh, Ahmed faculty lines from the budget. I know that they were very much connected because I received the email from him uh, right after we had an event. Um, the students actually organized an event where they hosted Omar Barghouti, uh, one of the major founders of the BDS movement and the academic and cultural boycott right after Israel attacked Gaza in 2008 and 2009, uh, wreaked havoc. And so the Palestinian students cho- selected, invited Omar Barghouti to be the speaker for the the the, the anniversary of the mural, the Palestinian cultural mural right. learning, the late Professor Edward Said. Uh, when uh, the, the, the members of uh, the Jewish Community Relations Council, 10 members came and protested to the university, demanded that the event be cancelled. Uh, the past president did not cancel the event, but uh, uh, and um, the, there was a lot of excitement about it. I was asked by the dean to send the video to the president because it was really a very uh, lively uh, intellectual debate and discussion about what do we do and how we think about things and so on. And uh, uh, the president instead wrote me an email in red, two lines in red, and then I was later told that when you write, when he wrote emails in red, he was basically telling people that you are falling out of uh, grace. And then he proceeded to cancel searches that have been two for two faculty uh, lines for the Ahmed Studies program that are part of my contract, of my um, offer contract when I first came to San Francisco State in 2007, and uh, uh, canceled the searches and then proceeded to uh, delete the faculty lines from the budget uh, when he retired. I should just say that the searches actually were vetted, were approved, all the way by HR, went to the provost, and then he basically canceled them. He canceled other searches, but the other searches were restored. We continue now, uh, 11 years after we started building Ahmed with one faculty member. The current president of the university, when he came to San Francisco State, we were a lot very excited about him. We thought that he would be different than the previous. And one of the first things that he did was announce that he was going to host a reception for the Association of Asian American Studies, which was going to be convening in San Francisco because now we have um, an Asian president of the university. We have Asian American Studies Department at San Francisco State. Uh, San Francisco itself is a big Asian city. There is a lot of history. Uh, There is the Day Day of Remembrance is coming up and we have an event. uh, Ahmed, we're doing a a project about that um, on February 21st. So let's People should stay tuned uh, to Ahmed website and check it out. Anyway, so people were really excited, and this seemed to be the right thing to do, to host a reception, and he allocated $10,000 to host a reception for AAAS. That was, and but the problem, that was, I think, in spring 2014. The year before, Association of Asian American Studies had adopted a resolution in favor of BDS and abiding by the academic picket line mm-hmm. that Palestinian scholars and academic institutions called them, told them, please do not contribute to our further deprivation of education, of scholarship, of going to school. Do not continue strengthening the Israeli occupation that is not allowing us to have the right to learn and to teach and so on. And they abided by it. They issued the resolution. AAS was actually the first academic association to do so. And uh, president, uh, the president of the university a year later heard about it and basically uh, issued a strong condemnation of BDS 
which is strong condemnation of academic freedom and freedom of speech, and canceled the reception, which was a huge insult. It was a huge insult to the association. It was a huge insult to our colleagues in the, in the Asian American Studies Department. Uh, it's the biggest department in the College of Ethnic Studies. It was a huge insult to all of us. And it was it was it was it was slap in the face. It was. What well, do we well, under, how here, do we understand that? Up. Yeah. I mean, uh, of course, I I was a student many 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 moons away. Yes. <laughs> and now I'm back on campus. In yes, a, because we continue a, learning. Right? Yes. We, we continue yeah, learning. Yeah. And my recollection, every single group who uh, that had a plight usually are. Yes. Granted the, the platform, whether yeah. be it, uh, I, I, you know, during my days, t- Tibet yeah. was a very hot issue. Right. People boycotted and, and uh, whenever you had a Chinese yes. speaker on campus, they, 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 they organized against, yeah. Right? Yes, yes. And, and other issues, of course. Apartheid South Africa. Apartheid South Africa. Yes, yes. But many issues. Look at today and the Me is, Too movement, sexual harassment, anything. Is, is, yes, this yes. is what the BDS is trying to mimic, really. Yes, yeah. The you know to use that foundation that was built yes, of because course. and the momentum of, of South Africa, and so to, to be the big question, you know, we have these different you know um, presidents at San Francisco State University, different powers. But it seems that there is a connection, and this is maybe we'll get yes. a little bit deeper into this, that they've that somehow they're receiving their marcher, marching orders. Yes, they received the memo. They received the memo. They received the memo. Yes. When it comes yes. to a Palestinian issue, yes, their uh, tune just changes yes. totally. Yes, it is not a secret. I think people know that, and I think your listeners know that, and you and I know that, and the, the evidence is all out there that uh, the pro-Israeli lobby industry, and I'm calling it an industry because it is an industry. It is very well funded. It has uh, some of its biggest supporters in Sheldon Adelson, Haim Sabban, the Bradley Foundation, the Corette Foundation, the uh, the Koch brothers. I mean, some of the wealthiest people in the United States. And also Israel is quite aggressive and is quite nasty and is quite trying to basically silence anything. So there is this collaboration between the Israeli government the uh, these wealthy and the pro-Israeli groups in the U.S. that there is a few of them. They're mm-hmm. not. They're not. It's not really a large group of people, but what they do is they do have. They're very well funded. They're very well connected. Uh, two in 2015, um, uh, the International Jewish Anti-Zionist Network like IJAN issued a report that uh, I had. I had read it and I. Contributed a little bit to it, not a whole lot, because I was fighting to defend myself at that time from the Amcha attack in 2014. But they issued a report in which they traced the W-9 forms from uh, um, that uh, nonprofits submit to the IRS, just only that. And they found the links between the various funding that is going on mm-hmm. from these big donors who are anti-environment, anti-labor, anti-education, uh, right-wing, on every single level. 
and also pro-Israel as well. And their funding, including Campus Watch, including David Horowitz Freedom Center, including AMCHA, Stand With Us, Simon Weisenthal's uh, Center, uh, the and, and one, one of the newest, well, it was it's not new now. It's been there for a few years, but uh, uh, the um, the uh, lawfare project that's that's suing uh, the university uh, administrators, the San Fr- California State University, San Francisco State University administrators and staff. And I'm the only faculty member. I also uh, happen to be the only Palestinian Arab and Muslim faculty member. And the the faculty member leading the Ahmed Studies program. And you've been named, of course, in in the lawsuit. I'm named in the lawsuit, and they amended it, and they also added me to the damages. And I'm, yeah, I'm being sued in the lawsuit. And one of the things that the the attacks continue, by the way, because we were talking about BDS, that every single time there is a Twitter campaign, they always say that Rabab Abdel Hadi, co-founder of the United States Campaign for Academic and Cultural Boycott. They they keep bringing it again and again, as it's an insult to participate our listeners because I don't want to kind of lose some of our new listeners Uh, we are talking uh, now we've shifted to talk about what's happening at San Francisco State University and um, you know recently there also uh, there were pictures right and posters plastered campus wide where they had your picture and also others uh, on campus and then there is a lawsuit. A lawsuit was filed in June 2017 yes. by the Lawfare uh, Project, which is which is a shadowy organization that advocates, and this is quoting from their website, the use of the law as a weapon of war against critics of Israel. Yes. I mean, at yes. least they're not hiding behind a different... We don't need to read the subtext. No, that's what yes. they want to use the law, whether it be, yes. be it justifiably so or not, they, the use of the law as a weapon of war against critics of Israel. The lawsuit filed against San Francisco State University and several university administrations, in, also including uh, Dr. Abdel Hadi. I'm not an administrator, yeah, but I'm just but, a faculty Exactly, but yes. they including you by yeah. name. Yes. Uh, alleges that San Francisco, San Francisco State University uh, willfully engaged in anti-Semitism by fostering a campus climate that is hostile to Jewish students. The lawsuit cites an incident in the spring of 2016 when a coalition of students representing a multiplicity of communities, ethnicities, and backgrounds, who sta- and, which I should mention also, it included like JVP, Jewish yes. Voice for, for no, Peace, no, and other students. No, no, it was just students. It wasn't, students, but it wasn't community had, groups. But yes. it was open. Yes. There were Jewish students, Palestinian right. students. From the video, it's very clear that yeah. it was so, a very diverse. So they had, yeah, yes. very diverse ethnicities, backgrounds who stand in solidarity for the freedom of Palestine. They protested a speech by the Israeli mayor of uh, Jerusalem near Barakat for Occupy his role. Occupy Jerusalem. Occupy Jerusalem. Yes. Fully yes. occupied Jerusalem, east and west near Barakat for his role in enforcing Israel's occupation over a divided city and for his incitement against Palestinian communities. So most of the allegations are based on a false conflation of the criticism yes. of Israel's actions with anti-Semitism, yes. parallels that have been soundly rejected and refuted by 
many Jewish organizations. By the way, historically too, because historically there has never been a consensus among Jews internationally here in Palestine or anywhere over the question of Zionism and Israel. If I've, this past uh, year was the 100th anniversary of the Balfour Declaration, so I was doing a lot of studies, but I'm my Palestine is my area of uh, scholarship and expertise. And I was doing uh, and I was looking at all of this. And there is historically there has never been a consensus among Jews around the question of Israel, Zionism or and also the question of how to address anti-Semitism and how to deal with it. There were there were the Zionists, Herzl and others who thought that a state a Jewish state would work. And there were multiple others who said, no, this is not the case. This wasn't the case. And until today, historically and contemporarily, there has not been a consensus on that. There hasn't been a consensus that criticism of Israel equals anti-Semitism. We know from our colleagues and our friends and our allies, Jewish Voice for Peace, International Jewish Anti-Zionist Network, uh, there is new groups that, uh, if not now, there is, a, there is multiple groups who are organizing Jews against Islamophobia, multiple groups in multiple places, in synagogues, in, in universities, everywhere. Actually, uh, a, a number of uh, uh, Jewish faculty members in Jewish studies departments have uh, written an amicus brief in support of me and uh, to uh, to refute all the allegations in the lawsuit, especially the whole question of equating criticism of Israel with anti-Semitism, that the lawfare project that is suing us, that is suing us and aided by 1,000 lawyers pro bono in a mega 1, law firm. 1,000 lawyers. Yes, 1,000 lawyers, yes, in San Francisco. The law firm has been trying to fight tooth and nail not to allow the amicus brief to be admitted. Now, the good news is that on November 8th, the, the, the judge, Judge Oreck, threw the case out of court and said this is there is this bogus. We were saying this is bogus. We decided on June 19th when we heard about it, and I heard about it on Twitter. I had, should say that my university did not even inform me. It took them a month to hire me a lawyer. But uh, uh, I, we decided we made a decision. I made a decision and we as a community made a decision. And I say as a community, not only Palestinians, Arabs and Muslims, I'm talking about the community of justice. All of us came together and we said, we're going to fight this. We're not going to, we don't want the universe to settle because these are bogus charges. A, they're bogus charges against San Francisco State. They're bogus charges against the public institution, our university, California public institution. And they are bogus charges against me and they are bogus charges when you try to equate and dismiss criticism of Israel and just keep using cynically anti-Semitism in order to try to silence critics of Israel. And we and the judge agreed with us. The judge agreed with us on November 8th. And next week, I'm not a legal expert. I'm the client. I'm the person who is represented, the defendant, by my amazing lawyers. They will be here next week, That's and right. they will be able to this, talk about the details more. This yeah. is, by the way, uh, part two of a series of interviews with Dr. Rabab Abdel Hadi, because we didn't finish to talk about everything yes. last week. Yes. But also next week, we are going to have your legal team. Yes. In which I want to also remind our listeners that actually the first hearing, the judge basically dismissed yes, on the case, yes. uh, but left a window uh, for... He, le he gave them a leave to amend. To amend. So, yes. so they're supposed to amend if, if, they, if they can. Or, they or they if, said they're going to. Or they're going to. 
and we'll see. That will be very interesting. But definitely the judge was uh, fair and square looking at the legal, basically, uh, content of and yes. the merits of the case. He I should say, Jamal, that also there have been multiple lawsuits. So the Kansas City is one. Uh, we have the lawsuit against the American Muslims for Palestine that was also dismissed. There is multiple attempts. At San Francisco State, you began to talk about uh, the, the, the student protest against uh, the racist mayor of mm. occupied Jerusalem near Barak- mm. Barakat. And uh, uh, the university hired an outside firm, Maddox, hired an outside investigator to come and investigate whether there, what, was, what happened with near Barakat. Mm-hmm. And there were charges by some of the same students who are suing us now. The same, mm-hmm. saying that they have been there is an environment of anti-Semitism. Their their right to hear the speaker were violated. This was against Jews. This was anti-Semitic. There was violence, and the investigator came out and found that there there was no uh, no no attacks on Jews. There was no violence involved. It was very clear that the students who were protesting were protesting Israel and protesting near Barakat. And the minute near Barakat left. They, the students left. The other thing I think is really important is that the uh, the university, this is really a problem about the structural Islamophobia, anti-Arab and anti-Palestinian uh, racism at the university, is that the university assumed that it was Palestinian students who were protesting, and they said it was GOPS, and the GOPS, the General Union of Palestine. So, so students said, why are, you, why are you saying GOPS? You don't think anybody else is offended by Israeli actions and by near Barakat? Everybody who is for justice is offended by, by something so, like that. So there is a definitely a pattern yes. here on, in different cities, different campuses, yes. trying to silence or intimidate supporters of the Palestinian cause. Right. And so far, uh, you know, when they've, te- they've taken it to, to court, they've lost every single one. Right. I mean, there are other pending ones, yes. but, but also this is establishing a pattern because right. it's going to be, uh, you know, one slap in the face after the other because of the Constitution, because right. Right. they're yes, attacking really the First Amendment. Yes. And, 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 and there is a link here because why all of a sudden, I mean, I mean there is, these things have yes. accelerated. And I'll, I'll read one of the questions that we are getting questions on, on Facebook Live. And this uh, qu- a question from someone probably you know, Manad al-Harzallah. Uh-huh. What do you think of the fact that Trump, the least popular U.S. president in modern history, is the biggest supporter of the state of Israel in spite of a growing worldwide support for the Palestinian struggle. And what I want to add to this question is really, it seems to be Trump's presidency is emboldening all these, uh, those who are behind these attacks and lawsuits. I think uh, I think it's a very good actually point that Bonadel is making and uh, you're making also is why is it happening? Why is it happening now? I think we need to go just a little bit back in history uh, to uh, 2010 after the Israeli attack on Gaza in 2008-2009. People around the world saw again, were reminded again of how horrible the Israeli occupation is, how brutal how discriminatory, how racist, and the justice of the Palestinian cause. Uh, the fact that Israel also went and attacked the Mavi Marmara, that was also another uh, evidence of how 
nasty. They're attacking a ship that's bringing medicine and food to people in Gaza under blockade that Israel has already bombed a few months earlier. So this is the, the, so what happened is that now Israel and its supporters are in, they have a dilemma. They are, they're stuck. They do not know what to do. So there was a, a meeting and a, an institute in Israel called the Reut Institute came out with a prescription of what needed to be done by supporters of Israel because despite the fact that the U.S. is supporting Israel with billions and billions of dollars and military, despite the fact that the U.S. is supporting Israel in the Security Council and preventing resolutions from going on, despite the fact that APAC is always trying the Israeli lobby in Washington, the American um, uh, Israel Public Affairs Committee is trying to intimidate lawmakers and twist their arms and so on to vote in favor of Israel. Despite the government that is supporting, Israel is losing on a, on a, on a, on a popular level. It's losing the public opinion. It's been losing the, the word public opinion historically. The word is, is with Palestine. But, there is a shift but, the US, but the U.S., there is a huge shift in the U.S., in, including among young Jewish kids uh, on campuses. actually a, yes. a poll recently that, yes. that there is a major shift with uh, the youth between the age of, uh, I think, 18 and 24. And I don't think it's surprising and I don't think it's exceptional. I think we also can link it to why is it that even Obama was elected in 2004 and 2000 and 2008 and 2012. It, if, if there isn't a young generation that is not used to the question of segregation and racism and so on, he would not have been elected. It is a new generation that learns and that has learned the lessons of the 60s, that has heard about what's going on, that is standing for justice, including the young Jewish kids on campuses who constitute half of the Students for Justice in Palestine chapters and so on. You're listening so, to the voice of Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi. This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. We have uh, actually about uh, seven or eight minutes left. And... Uh, I want you to talk a little bit but about, I just want to finish about the, the yeah. teach-in. Yes, yes. Because we need yes, to, uh, yes. about the teach-in yeah. that's going and to be happening on February 7. Yes. And also, any new updates yes. that you want to talk about, because definitely there, is, there are leaks and, and collusions yes. happening internally about yes. the case yes. and against uh, Palestinian students and, and against you personally. Right. Uh, let me just uh, continue with that, with the Monadel's question, is that there is desperation. There is desperation on the part of the pro-Israeli forces that they are trying to lash out mm -hmm. against all and anybody who is speaking up for justice uh, yeah. in for Palestine. And of course, it's very interesting that the most right-wing and the least popular president and the, 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 the one who's building on white supremacy, on racism, on neoliberalism, who's actually quashing the rights of everybody, is also supporting Israel. I don't think it's such a surprise. I think it is something that it makes perfect sense. I think for a very long time there was a problem in the U.S. that, uh, that we call progressive except on Palestine, PEP, mm -hmm. in the sense that people will say we are for the environment, we're for labor rights, for, for women's rights, we're for education. And we are for Israel. And we will always ask people, don't you think that there is a discrepancy in this? Now things are lining up. Mm -hmm. Now things are lining up. The right wing is lining up. The racists and the colonists are lining up. And they are supporting Israel, including in the United Nations, including his own ambassador, that they are even trying to stop the United Nations Human Rights Council right. from pursuing companies that are building businesses with the settlements, with the, with the Israeli settlements on the West Bank. We're not even talking about the rest of Israeli violations. Mm -hmm. So this 
this is continuing on and uh, on. And the, but the problem for me, the, the the problem is, I'm not surprised of Trump doing this. I am not surprised that uh, Nikki Haley is doing this. I am not surprised that the pro-Israeli forces are trying to do this. What really is surprising to me, what is really something that we have to stop, it's not only to be surprised and accepted, but to have to stop, is the role of our public universities. Mm-hmm. Our public universities must be accountable to the public. San Francisco State University is the flagship of the California State University. It is the place where the 1968 strike happened. This is the place where we have the only college in the country for ethnic studies. This is the, the college that claims to have a mission of social justice. We claim social justice. And we need to, re- to, 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 to return our university to its place as a place of social justice. This is why we're doing the teaching next week, which called Palestine at SFSU. The spirit of 1968 continues. We are going to engage in, 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 the, in the general context of Palestine, but we are also going to discuss why do we have Palestine at San Francisco State. And it's open to the public. It is open, free and open to the public. It's at 4.30 p.m. It's in uh, Ethnic Studies and Psychology Building, uh, room f- uh, 116, which is the conference room of the College of Ethnic Studies. And it will last until 9.45. We have multiple panels, including the whole question of how the campus and the academy are being disciplined. Uh, there are people who are going to be discussing from Sacramento, this new bill that is trying to criminalize also uh, Palestinian speech on campuses. The lawyers are going to be there. We have people from uh, various community organizations, the Japanese Day of Remembrance, the 68 strikers, uh, the people from Jewish Voice for Peace, uh, students and scholars from various student organizations. We're also going to be having testimonials for people to talk about what is going on And what do we need to do about it? So the teaching is next week. There is also another event next week on Thursday at UC Berkeley with with the lawyers and uh, with me from 6 to 8. And also, I would like to also invite people to uh, check out our project Teaching Palestine, support what we are trying to do, because we we think about teaching Palestine as part of teaching justice. This is how we see it. This is why we build the program. This is how we link up the issues. And this is how our communities uh, link things and expect this of us. And, and the program is very successful. Classes yes. are we full. Have no students, space. students yes. are motivated. Yes. And excited. Uh, excited. Yes. And somebody is not happy. Obviously. Yes. Somebody is not happy. So too bad. Briefly. Yes. Any new update as far as do you have any bombs to drop? Any new information? Because we, yes. uh, just reminding our yes. listeners, next week we'll have the legal team yes. uh, who, who will talk in detail about the legal aspect of the case. Yes. I think it's, uh, it's very unfortunate that we have people at the highest level of the university in the cabinet who are colluding and are complicit with silencing us with advising students who are suing the university are actually fanning the flames against uh, what we are trying to do. Uh, We would like to uh, have people, we would like to have accountability. We want to have a public investigation. We would like the taxpayers money of uh, taxpayers of the California to hold uh, the university leadership accountable. And we would like the university leadership to do the right thing. So why we can get back to the business of teaching, of researching, of learning, of educating our students in the justice-centered knowledge production tradition of the Arab and Muslim ethnicity and diaspora studies, ethnic studies, and San Francisco State University. You've been listening to the voice of Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi, 
This is part two of a three-part series. Next week, we'll have uh, your attorneys right here in the studio. We encourage our listeners to uh, attend the teach-in next week, February 7th, at San Francisco State University, uh, room EP116. That's in the Ethnic Studies uh, building. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPO San Francisco. We'll talk to you next week. Mm -hmm.